What's going on, guys? Uh, it's Daniel DeBrock here on the Stack Strength Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Mike Tashur. Uh, so most of you guys who follow the podcast or follow me will will know Mike um, uh, because he's obviously a pretty big name in the powerlifting industry. And so what I wanted to talk about today was powerlifting programming and different progression strategies because I constantly get questions about this, and I kind of give a lot of the same answers, and so I wanted to have a little bit more of like a an in-depth discussion on this, maybe utilize this as a resource so I can kind of defer people to this. So, Mike, thanks for jumping on, man. Um, for, for either news listeners or people who maybe aren't familiar with you, can you give a little bit of a background of yourself? Uh, yeah, let's see, mostly known these days as powerlifting coach. I'm the owner or founder of Reactive Training Systems. And um, kind of my claim to fame in powerlifting uh, is the guy that kind of brought RPE to powerlifting. Uh, it was back in 2005 or so. And uh, obviously that's gotten to be pretty ubiquitous in powerlifting. And then um, I would say if you were going to characterize my training philosophy, the, the thing that's kind of run constant through my whole powerlifting career, it's just been the, uh, the prioritizing individualization. Uh, it's always been a, a major focal point for me. Awesome, man. And you're, uh, you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're making your way back into competition now as well. Is that right? Yeah. So um, let's see. I did my first competition back in March. That was the first competition I've done in six years. Uh, so it was fun. It was fun. It was nice to be back on the platform. You know, uh, competed at a high level for a lot of years and then uh, long story short, it was kind of got sidelined due to injury and some pain issues and eventually got fed up with it and just said, I'm going to take as long as it needs to uh, to resolve. And it probably didn't need six years, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I walked away pretty hard from the like training competitive power lifts. So even like after things had resolved, uh, it took me kind of a long time to figure out how am I going to bring this back? you know and uh yeah so that's how that went that's awesome man well it's, it's really been cool to to see your your lifting again um and it's pretty shocking that even after that well i guess i shouldn't say shocking it's just it's cool to see after you know six years essentially away from that specific type of training you coming back and then smoking a bunch of huge numbers it's it's pretty Thanks. cool to see um do you have any meetings coming up in the next little while yeah, I'm going to try to do uh, a qualifier probably later this year and see if I can go to uh, Powerlifting America Nationals in February. That's kind of what my hope is. So. Oh, okay. Are, are you going to be competing in IPF or like one of the affiliates? I'd like to. I'd like to. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a different sport from the one that I left six years yeah. ago. So it's a lot more competitive. Like I know uh, Enrique Lugo is kind of a guy to beat in the 120 kilo class on the PA side. And I mean, he's a strong dude. So like going back to the IPF is not a guarantee by any means. Uh, it would be, it would be an accomplishment just to, just to get there, you know? And I mean, I think I don't, know, don't want to take us too far off topic, but that would be, that's a big difference between like me now versus me six years ago is like the, the mentality that I'm bringing to it is, uh, a lot more appreciative of the time that I've got because I see now like you can go from like competing and competing at a high level to not even being in the competition in a very short amount of time. So, you know, it's fine to strive and, and do all that, but don't take, don't forget to take the time to enjoy where you're at. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's kind of interesting as well. So, like, for me, recently, I haven't been able to lift heavy, actually. Um, I had, like, a little issue maybe about six or eight weeks ago. And um, essentially, I just faint <laughs> all the time now. <laughs> and so it's okay if I'm doing, like, bodybuilding-type stuff, but just even going for walks and, and, like, stuff like that can be a little bit problematic. And so I just don't necessarily want to risk fainting under, like, 650 pound squat or something like that so i'm like ah, i'll just take a break from that do front squats where i can bail it forward um yeah 
No, it makes sense, man. Like the safety stuff is a pretty big, it's a big thing. It's something that ought to occupy uh, a significant mental space. I think it only really does that after you kind of get injured and you have to go through that long, long process. Like I remember when I first started actually lifting weights, um, I came from like boxing and essentially boxing is basically the farthest thing from good practice when it comes to training and conditioning as, as you can get pretty much. And so we would just run. And if you got shin splints, they'd be like, oh, you just need to run more. And, and they would just get you to do more. And so your volume of training was just so high. And you don't, it was funny because we never really got injured. Um, and so then going into weightlifting, people were like, oh, you got to be careful. I was always like, I literally didn't believe. I was like, how are you getting injured from lifting weights? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. And I didn't realize that it was just too weak to actually injure myself. <laughs> and, so, and so then after, like, when I got a little bit stronger later on, I was like, oh, okay. Yes, injury is a very real thing that affects everyone. I was super young and stupid back then. But yeah. Anyway. Well, we all have those those things in our past, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess one of the places to start um, the, the conversation, I guess, would be in terms of how you actually sort of conceptualize the, the programming process. Um, obviously, you, you kind of brought in, you know, with even just with like the emerging strategies approach, that's a very different paradigm than historically what, what people used to do from like a, a top-down sort of periodization long-term model. Um, so I guess, could you start out just by talking a little bit about what that process looks like from, you know, you, you meet the new client, you kind of review their training, um, just some of the basic stuff to kind of get the ball rolling, I guess. Yeah. So what I'm finding lately is that there's a little bit of difference between like the doctrinal emerging strategies approach and then the way that I've been implementing it lately. And it's a little bit of a learn the rules to break the rules kind of thing. Because I think, like, it, so emerging strategies is the process that I will use to write training and to individualize training for an athlete, right? And it's a, it's a very distinct process there's steps to it you follow the steps right um but really like at bottom it's it's an epistemology you know it's a it's how do you know what you think you know about an athlete like you think that uh you know their squat is really responding well to triples lately but how are you sure about that you know and it's it's a questioning it's a it's a method for, for finding out knowledge, right? So you can go as hard as you can in that direction, uh, which I would say like the doctrinal emerging strategies approach is pretty hard in that direction. Or you can start to back off from that a little bit and say, okay, maybe I don't need so much certainty. You know, a, a little bit of certainty is, is sufficient. And, you know, I can inject a little bit more of, uh, some of these other processes and you start to to find your own niche in the middle, you know. Um, but I think it's probably best to learn like the doctrinal emerging strategies approach first. And that way you, you go, oh, okay, so if I went as far as I could in that direction, this is what it would look like. Let me figure out how, how much do I want to back off of that? You know, how much am I comfortable backing off of that? You know, um, so, I don't know, that, I'm not sure if that framing is, is helpful to kind of get our conversation started there, but uh, that's, I guess it's, there's the, the, the method that I would teach somebody to use at first, and then there's, like, what we actually do in practice, you know? Yeah, and no, that does make a lot of sense, obviously, because, like, even when I used to coach boxing and Muay Thai, we'd get these guys who would like hang their hands down and do the whole Roy Jones, you know, or like the Philly shell, like Mayweather. And we'd always be like, look, man, you, you can't be doing that. You're going to get hit. And they're like, well, Mayweather does it. And I'm like, Oh, are you one of the greatest boxers in history? No. Then learn how to box first and then you can do whatever you want. You know, right. Once you win a couple titles, then sure. Go ahead. And you can tell me whatever you want. But until then, 
learn the fundamentals. So I, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And, and I, think, yeah. I think even doing it that way also gives you broader application of whatever other sort of unique perspectives that you actually may have that kind of are, are I guess, born out of, out of that process. Um, so one of the things as well that I wanted to talk about was um, I know once I started train, once I started coaching, um, and switching from like, I guess, a monthly type coaching paradigm to, I switch it to like, you know, weekly or even like, yeah, even kind of touching base, like in shorter intervals, I noticed that I was able to like radically change the level of progress, the experience, like address injuries or imbalance, like just the whole process became much more, um, I guess, clear, right? But then one of the problems that I experienced with that as well was when I was looking at that and we're making great progress, sometimes training just becomes stale because there isn't that, you know, def definitive cutoff of like, okay, we're doing three months of, let's say, hypertrophy and then three months of strength and then three months of, you know, peaking or whatever the heck it is, right? Um, and so that was something that I kind of wanted to get your feedback on in terms of how do you actually keep training engaging? Because I have seen for myself and even in like, you know, some of the higher level athletes that I coach that I don't know so much that like, you know, quote unquote staleness is the reason why people don't progress. I think it's almost like a lack of engagement that decreases their level of effort um, and, and, yeah, just their, their level of effort and, and output in their actual training. Even recently, I have had that with with one of my athletes who's, you know, she went from like, we have a phenomenal, well, actually, you know, so Calgary, Bar, or not Calgary Barbell, but Strength Edge. So Bryce used to be there. Um, we've got tons of really strong athletes. I think there's like four or five guys there that deadlift over 800 pounds, which is pretty crazy for one gym, right? And she went from that environment to a commercial gym environment in like, you know, rural BC, and so it's very, very different. And so I just noticed that her training was like still kind of trending up, but it really slowed down a lot. And I had to really do like a dive into, into her videos before I was like, oh, you're, the program is fine. You're just not pushing hard enough, you know? And yeah, yeah I, I've talked enough. So <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're, you're right on. Like how much energy are you bringing to it? You know, is a, is a major, major thing. Like from the programming side of things, there's only so much that you can write on the paper, you know, and if you think of like the program as, as like this instructions uh, for, you know, how to get better at the sport, then there's a whole lot of other stuff that's not written down, you know, uh, and that, that really can't be written down. Like how much energy do I bring to this set? You know, uh, and then like, there's some stuff that if you did write it down, I think it would be worse. Like it, there there's some coaches that, uh, in my opinion, over-program stuff like warm-ups, you know, like down to the level of, like, telling me how many reps I need to do with the bar, you know, and then add on, you know, this little bit of change and do this many reps. Like, look, you don't know how many reps I need to do. I just need to rep the bar until it feels kind of better. And then, you know, like, you just kind of develop this feel for it. And, right, like, I don't think you... A friend of mine calls this training skill, that there's this certain skill that goes with training that you just develop that can't really be written down. Like, how, would, how are you going to write down, like, how much focus and energy to bring to a set? Because it's not always just maximal, you know, and that's not a reasonable request, even if you wrote it down, you know. So, and how do you get somebody to do that, uh, even if you we're able to communicate it. I think you've just kind of got to figure it out. So there's definitely a training skill component. And I think putting yourself in the right environment, you know, helps cultivate a lot of that, a lot of those like little micro decisions, uh, you know, so that you don't have to be hyper attentive to it, you know, but at, anyway, I don't think your original question was about environment, but <laughs> that's where I went with it. Um, do you want to refocus me on something? Yeah. So, so I was just talking about how you how you essentially organize the progression of training to make sure that it's not just like yeah, yeah. you know just we're making like subtle changes. So instead of a you know a squat, we're doing like a two second pause squat, or instead of a, right. you know what I mean, things like that, like larger scale changes. 
I mean, you're hitting on something that this would be something I don't think I did a great job of even in the recent past. It's like training would get too homogenous. It's too much the same thing, you know, and you would see people, they don't necessarily feel stale, but the progress gets stale. And I think whatever the cause is, whether it's psychological or physiological, whatever, uh, it's not so important, but there's a staleness that's going on there. And a lot of it's because this is too much the same, you know, and I think powerlifters are, are especially bad about this. You know, you do, maybe you're a beginner, right? And you're seeing a lot of great gains. You get to the end of your beginner stage, and you, you know, you're kind of suffering for gains a little bit. You make the switch into some uh, more ideal begin, uh, intermediate program. You see a lot of gains again. And that feels great. And I think a lot of guys get married to a program uh, when they hit that stage. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, moderate intensities, super high volumes. I'm just going to ride this forever. You know, eh, I mean, it works and it works for a long time. But it runs out of runway eventually, like all things. And you've got to learn something else. You know, and I mean, on a more micro level, you know, if you are kind of using the same methods, the same weekly structure, the same frequency, block after block after block after block, what lever do you have to pull other than crank up the volume? Like, I mean, that just seems like a, a very typical powerlifter approach. And I think it's, it's a rough way to make your way, you know? Uh, so more recently, I've tried to be more intentional about injecting difference in training and one way that i've been doing it is trying to it's kind of going back to some more mechanistic stuff and think about what are some of the physiological effects that this type of training is having you know like what's what do i want to get out of this you know okay if this is uh you know i'm working on uh, top end strength like maximal strength so the intensities are very high, you know, you conceptualize the program that way. Uh, or maybe you've got a different block that's focused on hypertrophy or that's focused on development of work capacity or anything, you know, and you conceptualize the training through that lens. And that's been helpful. And you can have two different hypertrophy blocks that look very different. And when you start to do that, it encourages you to make some different decisions too about, maybe your frequency, you know, um, it's not, it's not a one way street anymore. It's not only push frequency up all the time forever. Sometimes it might be beneficial to reduce frequency and increase session volume, you know, uh, maybe even just for a block or two, you know, just to inject some of that difference. And there can be a logic to the progression, but I'm not, if there can be a logic to it, then sure, you may as well apply it. It doesn't hurt, you know, um, but I'm not so sure that it's that versus just the, the change in stimulus that we're adapting to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's definitely been tricky for me. So like, for instance, I am, um not too long ago, I was working with a client and I've been working with them for a couple of years. And within the last year, I remember we were talking about, um, we, we had a conversation and, and he was like, yeah, I just kind of feel like I'm stagnating. Like I'm not really seeing, um, you know, any, like any progress and da, 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 da. And <laughs> I was so shocked to hear this because he had put over 120 pounds on his deadlift within a year and 75 pounds on his squat, and like 45 pounds on his, on his bench press. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it took me a little while to realize that he wasn't necessarily talking about, you know, the numbers in the bar. It was like, and sometimes it's just like, you feel like you're not making progress and that's the only thing you can kind of anchor it to. And, and so I, I totally get that because I think we all just naturally do that. You like assign blame or yeah. some relationship there. But um, I think what he was trying to get at, and I, I'm sort of appreciating it a little bit more over the last, you know, several months has been 
that level of sort of like staleness where it's like something's working. It's like, hey, let's not mess with it, you know? And I think that a lot of people, myself included, say that all the time. It's like, hey, man, if, if this is working, don't fuck with it. Games are hard to come by sometimes. So just ride it, you know? But then at what point does riding it somewhat become counterproductive from like a level of athlete buy-in? And I think that's kind of like a, a bit of a, an opposing perspective that at least up until like, I think maybe the last six months or so, I don't know that I paid it enough respect because <laughs> I was always like, oh, you're seeing great progress. This is fantastic. You know what I mean? And enjoyment, yes, obviously all that stuff. But then at the same time, it's like, I still think that it was minimized, you know, yeah. uh, probably a little more than it should be. And so it's, it's a really interesting sort of like, I guess, rabbit hole for me going down and hearing how other people are, are managing that. And so I guess like, let's say you're doing like a, a hypertrophy blocker or something like that. Like what are some of those changes that you think, and obviously it's, it's not necessarily, I'm looking for like generalizable stuff, but just to kind of get an idea of some of the changes that you might make just to create or introduce a little bit more novelty and, and into the mix. Yeah. Like how to inject some of that novelty. Well, so here's the thing. It, I am a fan of just like, I, I like geeking out over programming stuff. So it's never been a big ask for me to like study how people do this stuff and what you see is is a pretty wide range of methods uh that people use and and can see progress with those different methods right let's take a hypertrophy example because if you look at uh exercise science it's going to tell you that the primary concern here is volume of mechanical tension and that things that interfere with that volume of mechanical tension are going to be counterproductive, right? Okay, cool. But you still have people that do different things that do interfere with that volume uh, that are seeing progress. So, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, we're wrong, but I, I, it does make me think that the picture is either incomplete or it's not as cut and dry as you might think, right? And that if you've got a guy who is going to the gym doing a bunch of supersets and drop sets and uh, crazy intensity stuff, right? You might look at that and go, his volume of mechanical tension is not as high as it might be if he, you know, didn't do this craziness and follow, you know, uh, kept a couple reps in reserve and took longer rest breaks and did straight sets and blah, 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 you know, but the progress that that person might see is not like vastly different. Right. And if you're doing something that enhances engagement, I think there's not enough emphasis put on that, especially among serious lifter types. I mean, my domain is more in powerlifting, right? And, and you see this on the regular guys following fairly vanilla training programs, but seeing consistent progress. And what I've dug into this stuff and what I see is the, the programming is decent. You know, it may not be like the most brilliant programming you've ever seen, but what they're doing is they're getting in the gym and they're fucking getting after it. You know, like, they're not merely going through the motions. They're not, I mean, it's what you were talking about before. Like the environment makes a big impact. They're bringing a certain energy to the gym with them that is not there for everybody, you know? Uh, now, could things be better if the program was a bit better? Yeah, maybe. But also consider that even if the programming is technically slightly suboptimal, if it allows you to stay engaged and keep doing this longer, then over the long term, that's going to be better. And I, oh, by the way, like, I don't think that we have such a grasp of the physiological effects of exercise at this point that we can just say definitively, uh, you know, these methods are best and those other methods are clearly inferior. You know, I think there's more to it than that. 
you know that uh, you know the time span that we're talking about matters a lot. The population that we're talking about matters a lot. You know, we kind of get down this whole rabbit hole over like people uh, over concluding from what they see in exercise science. But I guess what I'm getting back to is that I like to study different programs. So I'm not above, you know, hey, we've got a hypertrophy block coming up. We haven't done anything resembling dog crap, maybe ever, you know. So I'll maybe write a block that uh, maybe doesn't go fully in that direction. Maybe it just has some flavorings from that, you know, or maybe it, so it depends on the case. Sometimes you go harder in that direction, sometimes not, you know. And I think I, think I can justify doing that, you know, even if we might say, huh, well, from the perspective of volume of mechanical tension, you know, like, yeah, I get, I get that, but there's other things to be considered as well. Yeah, I, I also find it kind of interesting because, like, when when I look at the the comment you made earlier about, oh, well, he could potentially be, you know, getting better results if he did this. I've heard that a lot, and on the one hand, like, I think that there's definitely instances where you can make that assertion. But I also think that there's instances where you you say that and it's like, I don't think you really have a leg to stand on. You know, like the number of times where I've seen people tell Usain Bolt, like, you know, oh, well, just imagine how fast he'd be sprinting if he just spent a little bit more time on his clean, you know, because it looks so trashy. And it's like, how, like, really, are you sure, you know, or, or, or yeah, like you said earlier, right, comparing different methodologies, like, let's say, uh, a juggernaut style of training versus i don't know what the antithesis might be um bulgarian maybe you know um some, something in that west in side that, west side's popular to, to dump on yeah here. yeah yeah sure so 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 let's say west side versus juggernaut it's like if you were to stay in either of those camps for a solid 15 years i'm not sure even if it's the exact same individual i'm not sure you'd really see any appreciable difference you know um, and so I don't know if you could really oh, say with your confidence that you're going to be getting better results or that you're specifically missing out on results by not doing something, you know? Yeah, I mean, totally. You're totally right. I think that people will throw around that assertion of imagine how much better they'd be if they just listened to me. Yes. <laughs> That's easy to say when you've got no skin in the game. But, man, like, yeah. so you'll know this because you, you coach people at a high level too. Somebody at a high level comes to you and says, you know, essentially, hey, here's what I've been doing, you know, uh, that's, the, that's the opportunity, right? Imagine how much better this high-level person would have been if they just listened to me. Okay, put your money where your mouth is. Stake your reputation on it. Now how sure are you that, that you're right? Uh, as somebody who's been down that road, I get real conservative. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, yes, I think I can help. Otherwise, I wouldn't take them on. But I don't come out of the gate just changing shit willy-nilly. I start with the assumption that, hey, what's been going on has been pretty damn effective. Let's yeah. maybe start with a small tweak and see what happens. You know? Yeah. I think that's a much more sensible way of going about it. And then, like, the, the comment about staying in the juggernaut or the west side or whatever camp for 15 years i think that's a perspective that gets missed a lot i i don't know i don't know about a lot of these uh schools of thought on that kind of timeline but i know from talking to guys who've been at say west side for that long it's not you know the program that you would read about in some Louis articles on repeat for 15 years, you know, like, like there's a lot of difference to it and problems that come up and like a creative problem solving process. And you agree with it or don't agree with it, but you couldn't homogenize it down to say this week training is a distillation. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it, at least in the case of Westside, I don't think you could do that. Um, 
any sort of like I don't know that you could look at Bulgarian weightlifting, maybe Bulgarian weightlifting. I don't know that you could look at Greek weightlifting and distill it down the same way. I don't know if you could look at Russian weightlifting and distill it down the same way. There's and and outside of that, there's a whole lot of programs, but not as many camps that will follow an athlete and be with that athlete throughout that kind of timeline, you know? So it's, it's a very interesting thing to think about though. I, I've spent some time on that question myself. So. Yeah. And especially when you see someone who is fairly high level and then you look at their training, you're like, Oh, they're doing this. And it's like, they might've only been doing that the last two years of their training or they might have been doing that for you know five years or and so it, it's kind of interesting and then it's like did did a particular i'm gonna try and see if i can let's say someone responds really well to super high frequency of pretty high intensity you know um and you're like oh that that they're responding super super well to that and um would they have responded as well if they hadn't previously had um, kind of a really high specificity type program that basically made their technique super, super well? You know, it's like, is that working because that's working or is that working because it's building on a pre-existing foundation of A, B, and C? And, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it becomes really murky, at least for me sometimes when I'm looking at those things like, oh man, I don't know. And actually to your point earlier about like adopting an athlete and making those changes, I had um, a strongman athlete who hired me for, I've never done this before, but he hired me as a consultant. Um, he's like, hey, I want to do my own programming because I love tinkering. I love all this stuff, which I totally understand because I'm the same way. And I just told him, I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm the guy for that. And he's like, no, I just, I really want, you know, I was like, okay, sure. And so I started doing that and just giving him recommendations and feedback and stuff like that. And then after a couple of months, he was like seeing good enough progress to, I guess, justify hiring me as a coach. It wouldn't change the price. So I, I don't know exactly what his thought process was. But anyways, once I actually started developing his programming, it looked very, very, very similar to what he was already doing. But his results just took off. And it's like, what caused the difference? <sighs> That's really hard for me to say. You know, I, I would say that it's like maybe better allocation of resources, making sure that we have the higher output in specific areas, how the whole week is sequenced, maybe week by week better modulation of, of his output versus recovery time. And, you know, but it's, it's like, those are really, really small details, you know, I, I'm, depending on how you look at it, right? In terms of what's actually written down, I guess, you know, it's, it's not anything too crazy. And so I would say that I made very conservative changes, but he saw very significant results. And so it's like, when you actually look at like, what's driving that performance, I'm like, I have an idea, but I don't know that I could write it down on paper and be like, this is what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, I, think that highlights too a trend that i know that i've seen especially in my own training i've seen it in my athlete training as well it's that the further you go the more of an impact those details seem to make mm -hmm. you know i think if you had a bunch of recreationally trained lifters and you know you you do a study on well i mean this has been done right like uh sequencing of of exercises in a training week makes a small impact you know it's not a night and day thing and in fact we'll do that for people that like have a chaotic schedule or something like that we'll implement like a flexible template uh a flexible system, um, where they can shift the sessions around based on what you know, what their schedule allows for. And I think that's, that's fine. That's a decent trade-off. But I do think that if you've got somebody where you're getting the details locked in, right? Like you've got the right volumes, you've nailed down the right exercises, then getting a few more details lined up can have an outsized impact. It's not just that those things make a, 
make a 1% difference and, and now you can notice that 1% difference. It's like it would have made maybe a 1% difference early on when the other details weren't locked up. But now that you've got these details in line, going an additional step seems to make a greater impact than it otherwise would have. You know, like the example that comes to mind for me lately is uh, nutrition around a workout. Like, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've gone through periods of caring more and less about nutrition uh, and never really noticed that much of a difference, to be honest. You know, uh, recently, uh, in the last several months, I started working with a nutrition coach, uh, Kristen Lander, Fiercely Fueled Nutrition. She has a, a really similar approach to nutrition that I have to training. So we really mesh well on that level, you know. Um, so we're kind of going through this process of, of getting my nutrition dialed in. And for the most part, okay, you know, we're doing body weight management stuff. And at some point it comes up about uh, my nutrition around a workout. You know, how many uh, carbs am I taking in pre, during, post, things like that. How much protein am I getting around a workout specifically? And we dialed that stuff in it made a noticeable impact on my recovery. Like I can see it in recovery metrics, you know, and I mean, I've messed with this stuff before and never noticed that before. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I think it's that at this point I've got a lot of the other details locked in. And so now it's not just that it's suddenly noticeable. It's that it's a bigger impact than it would have had, had those other details not been in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense, especially because like, you know, I'll, I'll get a lot of guys who are like trying to optimize certain recovery protocols or like through certain pro- recovery protocols or whatever, but it's like, you're getting five hours of sleep. So I don't care what you're doing. You're not getting enough sleep, you know, like if you're, if you're, I honestly, I honestly don't even think that eight hours sleep is enough. Like, I think if you're training and you're pretty damn strong, like if you're, if you're, let's say like, you know, an advanced athlete kind of approaching that elite or international elite level, I don't think eight hours is enough. I think you have to be getting like 10 plus hours of sleep a night. And I've just seen such a huge difference from that for other people that I've worked with. And obviously that's a pretty difficult thing to tell people to do, but like, you know, and so if you're getting five hours and you're pretty strong and you're trying ice baths or cryo chambers or meditation it's like i'm not going to say don't do it because it might have somewhat of an effect but i just think it's like really misplaced effort you know and i mean i'm like a bad guy to talk to about that because my sleep is absolutely garbage lately so i think to bring up kristen again i think she sees herself as much as a recovery coach as she does a nutrition coach and like nutrition is one lever to pull there but we track things like sleep and uh other recovery metrics you know and i think i've kind of beaten her down with my terrible sleep like look i've got four kids and uh you know a small business and things so i, I average probably five and a half six hours of sleep a night and it, it, look, it is what it is. I just can't manage any more than that. That's just how, how life goes. And, yeah. you know, at first, you know, it was like, hey, you know, if we could get the sleep together, that would be great. And it would be. It would be. I don't disagree at all. But at this point, you know, <laughs> I think when she reviews my check-ins, she's like, sleep is what it is and moving on. <laughs> right? yeah. Like, like we've, we've done what we can there. And uh Sooner or later, the kids will get a little older and I'll start sleeping again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. So, like, I've got sleep apnea and uh, a couple other health conditions that really, really mess with my sleep. So I'm kind of in the same boat as you, unfortunately. You know, and I, I'll, a lot of the times I'll get people that are like, oh, have you tried, like, you know, sleep? Have you looked into sleep hygiene? Have you looked into <laughs> meditation? Have you looked into, like, light blocker glasses and, like, you know, staying away from, and I'm like, no, I've never thought of this before. Like, you know, yeah. this has only been like my life for 30 years, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to, to the, the shitty sleep, basically. Um, yeah. I mean, you would never advise somebody to do it, but 
you play, you also play the hand that you're dealt. You know, yeah. I, I had a friend because we do talk about this sometimes, and we, we do emphasize that hey, getting good sleep is better than not. And I think sometimes that message lands a little bit differently because I've got a friend of mine who, um, you know, he follows all the same people that we all follow, and and you know the the information uh, travels the way that it goes, uh, and he came across a, a friend of mine who was talking about this and was trying to emphasize, Hey, prioritize your sleep, you know, make sure that you're getting good sleep. And, and, uh, you know, if, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, then, you know, how can you expect uh, the best progress in the world? You know? And I mean, I guess the, the message kind of, landed a little funny for my buddy because you know he works a blue collar job all his buddies work blue collar jobs and sometimes sleep is shit you know but what are you gonna do not train you know well that's not really a solution either so you you definitely play the hand that you're dealt and you should i'll i'll say that you should match your expectations to the effort that you're putting in you know and like it doesn't matter how hard you train if you just didn't sleep or you didn't eat, you know, <laughs> like you wouldn't expect that that's going to go real well, you know. Uh, and I think this is kind of a, a permutation of that idea, you know. If things do go well, then great, count your blessings. But um, if they don't, then you probably know the first place that you ought to look. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So. When you are looking at um, different progression strategies, uh, mm -hmm. I, I would imagine you probably have a couple, you know, unique ones that, that you go to. Um, I have tended to notice that, like, you know, for, for some of my athletes, like, they, I, I can have really, really high frequency to high intensities, like, um, eh, I guess it depends on how you look at it. A top, a top single at, like, a 7 or an 8 isn't as bad as people think. But um, I have yeah. some people doing that like four times a week and like seeing phenomenal progress um, and then doing some back off work at like, let's say fives or eights or something like that, you know, at like an RP eight. And so that would be like a, you know, I wouldn't say a super common strategy that I use, but it is a strategy that I use. Um, yeah. So do you, do you have any strategies that are kind of like some like progression strategies in some relevant, uh, I can't even speak right now. I think you know what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> that you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got a bunch. Um, so we have, uh, we just recently set up uh, something we call a, a training lab. And in the training lab, we've got a program library. And all the programs will have like these funny names that uh, kind of help to jog your memory on like what's inside, you know? So, um, can't think of any great examples right now, but uh, there's a story behind all of them. But like, well, there's strategies called roses. There's another strategy that's a derivative called thorns. Uh, and, you know, like roses, thorns is, is like a slightly harder uh, derivative of the roses strategy. So, you know, you may be familiar with one and, you know, that helps you to kind of conceptualize it. But then like within each strategy, there'll be like a low intensity, a medium intensity, and a high intensity variant of each of those strategies. So we've come up with like this huge number of different strategies built into into this program library. And they'll all be like built on different ideas. Like uh, you may have one uh, that really downplays uh, developmental exercises and really prioritizes uh, preparatory exercises. So like your, your lighter... Uh, supplemental exercises really get a priority in some in a certain strategy. Um, one of our coaches, John Garfano, wrote a strategy that's that will like pair the competition exercise with a developmental exercise, so that you're doing them like right next to each other. So the idea is like you do the competition, say your competition squat, and you're you know working on your technique. Uh, and let's say that you struggle with like this chest fall pattern that we see very commonly in the squat. Uh, so then you would go to a, a developmental exercise like a pin squat or a safety bar squat or something that further challenges that mechanic. You know, so uh, you know that's one way 
of approaching it, you know, and so we'll try all these different strategies. Uh, you don't have to follow like the, the low, medium, high intensity sequence. You can, if you find a, a certain strategy that just really hits. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton. Some of them will use uh, rest, pause, like my type of uh, strategies, not strategies, like protocols. Um, we have some strategies that use, like what you're talking about, singles, followed by uh, rep-based back-off work. Sometimes it's percentage-based, sometimes not, and so on from there. And what I found is that my tendencies as a coach tend to come and go in waves. You know, like I'll have a tendency to program a lot from a certain strategy pool for a while, and then it'll kind of shift over to a different strategy pool for a while. And I don't know if that's like me injecting my own personality into the programming, or if that's, you know, you could make an argument that, because um, it's not everybody that's following along with that trend, but it's like if you've got somebody in an exploratory block, there's not a comp coming up, and there's not a strong preference pulling you one way or another, then, you know, there's you've got to have something that nudges you in a certain direction. And I think a, a coach's preferences, a coach's tendencies are going to come into play there. Um, so if you've got people that uh, are kind of clustered around one type of strategy, maybe it's a, a hypertrophy style uh, block or, or it emphasizes more of a, a volume type of effect uh, or a volume type of approach that maybe later, you know, your tendency will shift into more of a, a higher intensity type of approach. Uh, and then, of course, you've got individuals who are landing all over the map uh, within that. But um, I don't know. I, I don't think that gets at the specific of what you're, what you're talking about. But I like to pull in these ideas from, like, all over the place. Um, like, I... It feels a little bit arrogant for me to take credit for like the single at eight trend, but mm -hmm. I I started doing that probably around 2014, 2015 when powerlifting kind of went through its last Bulgarian craze and people were doing a lot of this daily, uh, daily 1RM training, but it wasn't really 1RM. You've got to sandbag it a little bit you know it, well it's a single at eight you know it wasn't actually daily it was three times a week you know and yeah. like we made all these caveats to it to make it work for powerlifting and you know kind of the way that that evolved at least for me was kind of the weekly single at eight uh followed by back off work that's kind of where i landed with it and you'll see like a lot of our strategies will use that approach but i do think it's important not to use that year round. Like you can get stale doing anything, you know, and if you go into the gym every week and you squat 500, you know, sometimes it's plus 10 pounds, sometimes it's minus 10 pounds, but it's always right around 500. Like how does that not get stale? You know, how are you not at least getting a little bit desensitized to it? And you're not necessarily bringing the same energy to it, you know, I think you got to give that stuff a rest now and then, and at least from a psychological standpoint. And I think there's probably something physiological there too. Mm -hmm. So uh, sorry, man, I'm saying a lot of stuff, but probably not getting to the point. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think you had a lot of really great um, kind of examples and, and certain core concepts. Like I know for myself, anyways, I've started actually going and making more like YouTube videos before it was just previously to host my, my podcast. But, uh, I've been putting out about two videos a week. I try to alternate between nutrition and training. And I recently made a video on like how to design the best training split for strength or some, something like that or whatever. And um, I go over like population differences, I go over all these different things where it's like kind of the big umbrella sort of concepts. And then I get down to like a case study of one of my, one of my athletes. Um, and I'm like, okay, here's, you know, his intake. He's like 120 kilos, da, da, da. And then I get to the actual program so I can walk them through the program and explain like exercise selection sequence, the order throughout the week and why I chose these intensities and these volumes and all this stuff. And I found that about halfway through that video, I was like, 
oh, people are just going to take this and run with it, <laughs> you know? And, and so I had to kind of say a caveat at the end, and I still think people are going to ignore it, but I was like, this is his program. There's nothing special about, you know, the fact that he's doing three sets of five after his top set. There's nothing special about this. Ex so I, I did my best to provide context, but it was really difficult because I, I just do feel like people are going to kind of look at that and, and think that there's something special about doing a top set of five and then, you know, some back offs at 90% of their top set, you know, like, don't do 92, don't do 95, don't do 87.5. <laughs> yeah, that's your fractionals. It's, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just 90% of the top set. And you're like, oh man. So uh, I, I do think that people will get it. <laughs> you know, people that want to get it will get it. Yes. You know, but Yeah, people that want to get it will get it, but that's always a possibility. You know, one of the things that comes up for me when I start looking at stuff like that is just how many decisions get made, you know, because, like, the development of a program is, there's a lot of decisions that get made, and, uh, you know, they can be context-specific to that specific athlete, uh, to conversations that you've had that, nudge the needle one way or another and there's no way that you could look at any good program written on paper and go oh wow that's the program like they all look kind of lame <laughs> you know <laughs> when you just when you just look at it you know like yeah. oh like i mean imagine like the most far out there idea you know i don't know like i, I remember at one point like we went through this infatuation with like wave loading, right? And it would be, uh, it, but, I mean, think about it. Okay, you do a heavy set, then you do a light set, then you do another heavy set. Like, oh my God, mind blowing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, it is cool, but at the same time, it's still lifting weights. And I can't imagine what are you going to write down on this piece of paper that's going to just by all appearances be brilliant. But that's not the point. That's not where the magic is. The magic isn't what's on the paper. It's how that changes over time. It's how that applies to a specific individual and like what they're bringing to the table. You know? Yeah, no, that's a great point. So I, I'm, I'm almost positive this is you um, that, that said this. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. And I just kind of wanted to talk about it because I think it's actually such a it's a fantastic idea, and I think that it's something that is really sort of overlooked. Um, you made a post uh, a while back, and it was something to the effect of, like, you don't get stronger because you put weight on the bar. You put weight on the bar because, you get, because you're stronger, you know? Yeah. And, and that really resonated with me, and that, that was you, correct? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm one of the ones that have said that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, it was Marcus Aurelius and you. Um, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and I, I just I just thought that that was like such a an interesting, like a very simplistic and clean way to to sort of go about explaining like a kind of a more complicated concept, you know, and because yeah. um, progressive I'm, overload, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think a lot of people. Well, I mean, if you look at the ubiquity of like five by five programs and a lot of people come up doing starting strength and things like that, and you can come up thinking that adding five pounds a week is doing progressive overload, but it's not necessarily it. That's, I think the, the principle of progressive overload is, is like bigger picture than that. You know, it's not merely adding five pounds a week. It's, it's matching it's always providing a stimulus, you know, and sometimes that is heavier weight and sometimes the same weight is still a stimulus, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I think people can get hung up on more, more, more. If I, I think that's probably the biggest hung up, hang up. That's the hang up that tripped me up in 2014. Uh, that's the hang up that gets a lot of athletes, athletes that should know better is this constant drive to more, more, more. And 
that's not always it. Sometimes you just got to calm down and be patient. You know, and that's not a popular thing to think, but that's just the truth. Yeah, I, I remember. So after I saw that post, I actually started thinking about that because I was frustrated at the time of my own progress. And um, so I started kind of tracking the frequency that I would be able to go up in, in load when I'm hitting my top set of like, at the time I was doing fives. And um, I noticed that it was really damn consistent. Like I'd be stagnant for about two weeks. And then on the third or fourth week, I'd be able to go up a little bit. And then I'd be stagnant for two weeks. And then on the third or fourth week, I'd be able to go. Up. And it was almost like clockwork. And I remember that before that I was getting, or maybe, I think it was maybe the fourth week, something like that. And I remember before that I was getting frustrated. I'm like, man, I'm just like, it's really annoying. Like, I just don't seem to make good progress. And then literally one day I just feel significantly stronger. I don't have any reason for why, but it would happen. And then once I, but once I saw the pattern, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And, and it wasn't until I saw your post or whatever that it made me sort of like, connect the dots because it's like i know that like you said it but i know it but then i just wasn't you know what i mean exactly like you said it was like i wasn't i wasn't really bringing that that idea or that knowledge awareness into the actual um review process when i was looking at my program and when i saw that pattern it made things make a lot more sense and i was like oh this is still totally sufficient to be pushing me um and that was reflective in the in the increases in load over time and so that was something that I think that I maybe didn't necessarily appreciate quite enough at the time. Um, yeah. I think it's something that's uh, pretty interesting, nonetheless. What's well, so one thing I like about velocity-based training and, and bringing velocity into things like estimated 1RM calculations and stuff like that? Because we like to see progress, you know, and it is there if you look close enough and... Uh, since so much of this is keeping athletes engaged, especially like once you get into the intermediate advanced stages, it's just staying engaged long enough to see the progress. That, that's part of the battle as well. Um, things like velocity-based training can, can be helpful because, yeah, it's the same weight, it's the same reps as last week, but I can see that it moved a little bit faster. You know, you, yeah. you know hey, you're, you are getting stronger, you know, and I mean, say what you want about that, you know, like I know lots of people will kind of poo-poo that mentality, uh, but that's been really helpful for me, you know, like I like to see that type of progress. It helps me stay engaged, and I think it can provide an early warning too, like if you're not seeing that, you know, is it just that you haven't waited long enough or or maybe you're just not progressing and you do need to do something a little bit different. Well, if you are looking closely, then you can probably make that distinction a little bit faster. Uh, You know, you could maybe decide after a month or two months instead of having to wait for three, four, five, six months. Right. And Mm -hmm. that little bit of it can, can matter a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, it, it can definitely be tricky to find those little wins and progressions to kind of validate or invalidate whatever it is that you're, you're looking at, especially if you don't have like a real intricate method and means for data collection that doesn't require like six hours of scouring over your client's programs. It can be pretty tricky. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I try to find wins wherever you can you know if it's accessories if it's this if it's that it's like so long as something's going better maybe even it's just like hey i'm getting a little leaner you know that's not obviously like necessarily super relevant to your your strength goals but it is an adjacent goal for most people a lot of the time so yeah you know one thing i've been thinking about more lately and i want to put some more effort into this on my end um like you have people that are maybe dropping down a weight class, that can be daunting because you don't really expect to see a lot of strength gain, you know, especially when you're in the, the heights of that deficit. Um, I've been thinking about, well, what if we could look at it 
based on formula instead. You know. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're just maintaining your strength, but you're lighter. You know, so your your DOS score is getting better. You know, um, that that would be the other way of kind of not just finding any way that we can, but it's a relevant win, right? Like your DOS score is better, and you're probably getting more competitive. You know, and assuming you're dropping a weight class, then that's probably why you're dropping a weight class because you can you care about that competitiveness. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean, if you do decide to go up, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I guess is I'm I'm cutting weight since again I can't lift super heavy for the time being, so I'm cutting weight and eventually I want to be between 300 and 320 and be at around 12 or 13 percent body fat. Right. Right now I'm the lightest I've been in many years. I'm about 267.6 this morning. And I'll probably have to get down to about 240, 250 before I'm within that 10 to 12% range. And then from there, I can gain muscle really easily. Like I'm too, I, I was 275 before I started my cut and I didn't really ever work to get that. Like it's not, like I've never done bodybuilding specific training before. So this is the first time that I've actually been like, okay, this is my bodybuilding program. Um, I've kind of been joking around on Instagram because I've been sharing like my, my, progress or whatever so far and yeah. it's all just like photoshop my head onto onto like an olympia woman's <laughs> like or chris bumstead or something like that and i'll be like daniel brock ifbb pro hyphen ish and <laughs> my updates are like that but it's it's like yeah I, I think i think if if you can find those things and that's that's pretty important but I think yeah. now i'm just kind of like on a little bit of a tangent but um I guess uh, to, to close off, I know that you kind of like to mull around interesting ideas a, a fair bit. And so I was just wondering if you have something you've been thinking about a lot lately, whether it's fully crystallized or not, um, that you'd maybe be open to sharing. Um, lately, I've been, uh, I think it's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about already, to be honest. Like, I think about training and planning of training quite a bit. Uh, so in particular, the part where we were talking about um, like making sure that there's enough variance between programs and how you might go through that. I've been kind of reintroducing some of the mechanistic ideas, like so, some of the ideas around like mechanistic training effects. You know, for a long time, I got away from that you know uh hey you're doing you know sets of five uh and getting stronger from it well, why are you getting stronger from it i would say it doesn't really matter you know why might be an interesting idea but ultimately end of the day the thing that matters is that you're getting stronger and that it's associated with doing fives the mechanism isn't necessarily important and i do think that's pretty true you always have to come back to that level. It has to work at that level. You can't look at a mechanism and say, well, this ought to work and stop there. <laughs> you know, um, you always have to do like this reality testing. But I've found some creativity fuel, I would say, uh, in kind of getting back to mechanisms. Like we, uh, another training lab thing, uh, recently had uh, Evan Pycon uh, do a video for our training lab on uh, energy systems and like how that would be you know, uh, trying to be anaerobic uh, in the context of doing a, a thing for several minutes. Yeah, yeah. But then there's the training, which is different. You know, then there's uh, different kinds of training that you might do, and uh, what happens if you manipulate some of those variables a little bit more intentionally? Uh, should you care about things that are going on metabolically in the muscles? You know, and I, at the end of the day, yeah, I think you should. I think it can matter, and that if you approach it with a little bit of intentionality, like different things are happening. Uh, like take two different protocols. You might have. Um, one thing that's popular in training right now is to do 
kind of low RPE volume, right? Um, multiple sets, uh, six RPE, even less. Um, not necessarily short rest intervals, but probably not obnoxious rest intervals, you know, say three, four minutes. You know, well, that's doing something at a metabolic level, and it's different from doing, you know, sets with the same three or four minute rest interval, but at a nine RPE instead. Or that's different than doing same things um, at a short, like maybe the same load, maybe the first set's still like low reps at a seven RPE, but now you go at one minute rest instead. So that RPE is climbing as you go through the, the sets. Well, now something different is going on metabolically. And that's going to have an impact on your recovery. It's going to have an impact on future training programs, work capacity, uh, things like that. And I mean, that's cellular metabolism. Uh, things like uh, hypertrophy, we're talking about like different hypertrophy programs, even some that are pretty far out there. Uh, mechanisms by which those things may or may not work. Uh, skill development, stuff like that. So I think kind of getting back to mechanisms and, and using that as creativity fuel has been the thing that I've been thinking about the most recently. That's awesome, man. Um, so I think that's a good a place as any to, uh, to end things off here. Uh, where can people find you, Mike? That would be uh, reactive training systems or, you know, my personal Instagram is, uh, at Mike Tushier. Good luck with that last name. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, reactive training systems.com, uh, got a bunch of articles uh a free training log application web application so you have to log all your training run reports on it and you know my aim is to give people information that helps them make better training decisions so i want you to put the right weight on the bar and lift it the right number of times. and so we put a bunch of tools in the training log to help you do that uh and that's there it's free for anybody to use uh, so I think those would be kind of the primary places. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely go make sure you give them a follow and uh, check out the uh, check out the tracking app that they have at the RTS website. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's been awesome chatting. Really, really appreciate it. Good chat. <laughs>